0: Hello, and welcome to the Christmas edition of It's Your Money, the Mayor Brownsword podcast, where we're going to be looking back at the financial lessons we've learned during this very strange year. I'm going to highlight some things to look forward to in 2021. I'm Andrew Harrison, the penniless Bob Cratches of podcasts, and I'm here with Andy Mayer, the jovial and generous Mr. Fezziwig of personal financial advice.
1: Hello, Andy, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm normally called Scrooge, so that's a compliment today, Andrew. I'll take uh,
0: it. <laughs> never in my book. So it's the day after lockdown has ended, and we're all back in whatever tiers we've been assigned.
1: Did you go out for a Did you go out for a substantial meal? I would like to say I had, but Stratford upon Avon's been diagnosed as tier three, so we're locked down. Oh no. Sketch yep. check Free Zone. Never
0: mind. It's an it's an optimistic end of year podcast. And strangely enough, at the end of this this really miserable year, we've actually now got a we've got a COVID nineteen vaccine and the markets seem to be be recovering. Let's talk about that vaccine first. It's it's being rolled out to the older and the more more vulnerable people first. Is it going to be a challenge to get everybody to take it with the skepticism that's out there? And how is that going to affect the economy, do you think?
1: I think the economy will change and society will change fundamentally forever and I think there will be some people who will be jumping to the front of the queue and other people who will be more reticent. I think it's going to be very much a personal decision for everyone to look at but I think there is an increasing demand from society to get back to some form of normal but whatever the new normal looks like I think there's a a, a swell of people who'd like to go back to the theatre, who would like to go back to eating out for dinner, who'd like to go and watch a live sporting event. So I think there will be enough people taking up the vaccine to get us back into a different world. But 2021 should definitely be more positive than last year.
0: Yeah, it's not going to be the same, but it should be a bit less, you know, now that there's this kind of end point in, in place, or at least the, big, you know, the turning point with the vaccine, there's at least something to uh, to look forward to. What sort of an economic recovery do you think we are in for? What's what's going to be the shape of it? Because in the middle of last year, we were talking about Vs and Ws and Ls and all <laughs>
1: kinds. I think the markets have bounced back remarkably well uh, over the last few months. I think Biden's victory helped, but I think the vaccine and Biden's victory saw a lot of the markets make 5% up over two or three days. So I think the markets will bounce back and have, but it's not over. I think people think that suddenly them everything will go back to normal. We've still got obviously the infinite furlough and there will be some seismic challenges to the economy next year. Yeah, the infinite furlough
0: is a strange thing, isn't it do you think we're going to have to get used to the idea of a permanently interventionist government, which you don't expect from Conservatives, but the idea that the government is going to have to just abandon laissez-faire economics and do a lot of infinite interventionism for the forthcoming, you know,
1: medium term. I think it'll be fascinating to see what when the next round of furlough which is due to end in March whether it does or not but I think there has to be an end point because obviously the level of debt just keeps increasing and increasing and I think there's also people's confidence is going and if you've been sat at home for a year and suddenly you're watching the papers or oh, sorry reading the papers listening to the news your confidence to leave your house and go back to work will be shot and I think we do need to sort of look at how we're going to get people back safely and securely back to work but also for their own mental health you mentioned um you know the debt and the fact that it's increased so enormously and obviously
0: this is a this is a personal finance podcast what does that actually mean for individual savers when it comes to, and, and people who are investing what does it mean for the person listening to this podcast
1: well i think if when we were always told to save money successive governments but if you've got money in a bank now you're making nothing from it in fact it's losing your money against inflation So the reality is of that, and the government, when if someone wanted to buy a guaranteed annuity, that's based on a government loan, really. And government loans are at an all-time low. So for a lot of people, COVID's had an impact on their jobs. But for some people who are elderly, who used to like having money in a bank and used to like the interest from it, that's disappeared. And people who were really, really sort of accustomed to a different way of life, who would like to get to pension age and buy an annuity... They're at the worst level in history. So that has really affected some people.
0: The most conspicuous damage to be done in the past few weeks has been clearly to retail. Debenhams and Topshop are in administration and may go completely. It's going to be months before people return to city centres, even if a vaccine proves effective. Yeah. How, firstly, how do you think the retail sector is going to fare next year? And secondly, again, how, how does that relate to you know the kind of investments that people listening to this podcast would have made? How dependent is general economic health on that model of the high street?
1: Well, what's fascinating is about the retail is commercial property, really. So if you look at the Debenhams and properties like that, they're often in buildings that are rented, but people like legal and general pension funds, standard life pension fund have high exposure to commercial properties. Now, if those rents are dropping or if they're voided, those pension fund performances will ultimately drop. So that's number one for people who are invested in those areas. And it's very good for everyone saying, well, we should give everyone a payment holiday. And I, But there's people out there whose pension payments that they've got when they're in the sixties and seventies will be lowered. But I think, the biggest impact was from about 2016 with retail that people tell me Amazon create jobs. I, I'm not really certain they do. I think they just relocate them. Yeah, and, I and think, make them pay less. Yeah, and I think what we've now got is a click and click society where people, and I think COVID's reinforces, can sit at home, never leave the house, click and click, get the Christmas presents delivered and they don't have to pay extorbitant prices like where I live in Stratford's in town. They can do it from the comfort of their own house. And I think the high street has got some fundamental challenges. And I really feel sorry for people who are in retail because I think there is some severe challenges ahead, especially in certain towns where the rents are extortionate, that you have to make a lot of money to sort of just break even. And then you look at places like the Amazons and the Googles who seem to benefit from different tax regimes to people who are trying to create... An economy in local towns. The Amazon's and the Google's relationship to
0: pension funds is much more at arm's length, isn't it? Yes. I mean, you know, did do, do, do we benefit when we you know we all, we all look at uh, you know Google not paying the, the tax that perhaps people think it ought to pay?
1: Are pension funds benefiting from that? I think if you've got an investment in Google, obviously, and if you've got a heavily uh, big exposure to tech stocks, definitely. But a lot of older style pension funds and company pension scums have tradi- funds traditionally liked. Uh, commercial property because it had a sustainable hmm. yield, it would pay three, four, five percent. Now, those days have gone, and commercial property has, I think, as an asset class, got real challenges ahead not just for the next 12 months, I think for the next decade. I mean, the standout really has been the Topshop thing, and the fact that Sir Philip Green
0: has become this figure of loathing with, with his—he's got his yacht, and thousands of people are losing their jobs. Do you think we're at the end of an e- of that kind of particular era of kind of swashbuckling big retail and huge shops on you know Oxford Street in London and Church Street in Liverpool, and you know the you know the big town centre you know department store model is kind of going to be uh, a thing of the past?
1: I think Sir Philip Green is possibly one of the best examples and people like Ashley to talk about because we've talked about in a lot of these podcasts about environmentally social governed portfolios, but a lot of it is about the governance. It's about the governance. So so people like who Philip Green, who's now, well, is a sir, but the governance on his company is pretty poor. If you look at the responsibilities corporately to what he's done for his staff, whereas I think the companies who are going to flourish in the next decade will look after their staff, will have good corporate governance, and will ensure that there's sustainability of income for their shareholders, but also sustainability of income for the people who work for them. There's two
0: other sectors I want to talk about before we we, we move on. One is travel, which looks like you know has been through an absolutely terrible 2020 and you would imagine would have some capacity for recovery in 2021 and the other is hospitality which is experiencing some of its hardest times right now at christmas when you'd when they as businesses expect to be making a a lot of money how do you think that travel and hospitality are likely to bounce back or not next year
1: i think travel's a fascinating one because you i talk to people and people are minute are ready the minute the vaccine is available to travel want to go and i've got other people who are saying they're not traveling until at least 2022 but i think there's an awful lot of people saved a lot of money this year from holidays they didn't take, who will look to travel. So I think travel could get a bounce back, but I think business travel will never return. I think 2022 might see business travel better, but I think the advent of Zoom teams will mean that people won't necessarily want to get on a plane to New York for a three-hour meeting and come back. They'll do it via remote learning. Hospitality is a strange one because in between the lockdowns, I went to a pub. Mm. It was, I thought, soulless. You're sitting there ordering on an app. There's no banter. I I, I think the hospitality sector people will want to eat out, but I think it will be a year before it can get back to how it was. But I do think pubs are going to have to be better and do more because when you're looking at paying £5 a pint, you suddenly start thinking that's a hell of a lot of cash going out of your pocket for a pint of Guinness. And I think... especially in what i would call at the moment zombie atmospheres so i think hospitality has got some real real challenges ahead
0: what do you think are the industries that are going to drive the economic recovery because as you just described several of them have still got massive challenges You know, it can't all be driven forward by Deliveroo, Uber (laughs) Zoom, ASOS, and delivering your entire life to your front door in a cardboard box, can it?
1: Or can it? I think financial sectors will continue. I think think HSBC have bounced 50% share prices in the last two or three months. The financial sector in the UK is massively undervalued, as I've said before, because they've had to stop paying dividends uh, because Mm -hmm. of furloughing and everything. And bizarrely, I think energy stocks, which have taken a hit, will recover slowly, and they'll be a good area to invest in. And I think there'll be a new world, a new economy. Technology stocks have obviously done considerably well, but disruptive tech, people like uh, Zoom and everything, took a hit the minute you talked about uh, the vaccine. But I think there will be a need for Zoom and Teams, and they'll continue to prosper because... For example, the people listening to this, a lot of the times I would say, come to my office, I'll meet you in this cafe. The reality is now those people aren't going to need to because we can do it remotely.
0: We just had Rishi Sunak's spending review <laughs> and he says that, yeah, uh, the government's expecting the economy to shrink by 11.3% this year and there's going to be a pay freeze in the public sector, but £4 billion is going to be moved from overseas development into infrastructure you know you can you can question the politics behind that but sort of in, in the investment in you know in the UK so my question is what difference does that four billion in infrastructure actually, you know, how, how does that break down? Is it likely to be enough to regenerate parts of the economy that actually employ people? I mean, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, certain of the new technology uh, booming industries don't really employ people very much, and if they do, they employ them on bad wages. Whereas infrastructure tends to employ real people doing real jobs.
1: I don't think it'll make a significant dent, but I think what it does, it makes the debt less large. And I personally think as bad as it sounds, reducing what you pay overseas does not cost you many votes. Whereas if you put Mm. income tax up, you do, and the capital gains tax review that will emerge in March when he reviews capital gains tax and increases it can lose your votes. So what he's done there is go for a a system that will not lose him votes. And I, I mean, that sounds very cynical for me, but I think that was an area that he's looked at despite what they've said in a manifesto that would not cost him votes. And politicians, when they've got tough decisions, often make th- make decisions that they think will benefit them long term. So, But it'll have a small dent in it. But the debt becomes so big that it's just one area that he's going to recover money from. One big thing that's hanging over us, and may even <laughs> be resolved by the time people
0: listen to this, but who knows, <laughs> it's been promised for months, is Brexit. And as as of the time we're
1: talking, there's still no deal. Are you expecting one? (laughs) I'm expecting an outcome. I'm not certain what sort of deal we're going to get anymore. I think one of the things I'm really looking forward to next year is, I think, is not talking about the BBC, the Biden victory, the Mm -hmm. Brexit and COVID. I think COVID will still be mentioned, but whatever the decision is now, it's going to be a fascinating year to see how a deal or no deal affects, one, the UK economy. Because when you were talking earlier about the shrinkage that Sunak had mentioned, I think it's the fourth largest in the world. Wow. I think Portugal, Peru, and one other, and it might, I can't remember the other country of, whose uh, GDP has suffered more. So one of the things that government will be very acutely aware of is with that massive GDP drop, they need to get the best outcome for the economy on any form of no deal or deal, because otherwise they could go to the top of the worst performing GDP countries. You know, we
0: are still being told that, you know, we're hearing about fish and level playing fields and, you know, making preparations for walking away. And there was supposed to be a deadline of a month ago. That's, you know, deadlines have all blown past. Surely this is the complete determinant on whether next year is difficult
1: or terrible. No, I think what we have to remember is the FTSE, the UK's biggest stock Mm. market, 75% of its revenues are derived from abroad, from overseas. So if you look at the American market, it's about 26%. So... I think what it will do, if there is a no deal, it will make some products coming into the UK significantly harder to get hold of. But the FTSE companies will trade, I suspect, pretty well. The FTSE 250 will be a real indicator of how difficult the world is. But what it will add is in an increasingly difficult situation of COVID with, and I think people who are listening to this will agree that you find that trying to deal with some companies remotely has been, at the best, disappointing, and at some stages, scandalous. That mm. you realise that adding another issue into a situation that's already difficult could cause some supply and demand issues across various different sectors. Well, I mean, we've we've
0: sort of integrated ourselves so much into into, into the European economy, not just on kind of just-in-time delivery of, of of parts and so forth, but you know the, the the standards and the certification of it. It's hard to imagine that even a deal is going to be completely seamless.
1: I don't think any deal will be seamless. I think there's going to be nooks and crannies along the way. But I think, it, I think it's a shame that the EU and the UK haven't been able to resolve their differences for the common good in light of what's gone on this year. Because I think when you started this year and Brexit was there, I think there was a lot of posturing and everyone was trying to get the best deal. It's like a divorce. you Everyone goes into mm. it amicable but ends up trying to get the best they can for their long-term relationship. But I think in light of what's gone on since January, really, with the impact of COVID and lockdown since March, there needs to be some sort of compromise that it works for everybody because we've gone through millions of millions being affected, over a million deaths, that in the light of that, you would hope common sense would prevail and everyone would walk away feeling they achieved the right result. Bringing it back to sort of individual
0: savers and investors. We've seen a lot in the papers over the past few days of people realizing that, they won't be able to use their holiday home for more than 90 days at a time or 180 days in a year and a lot of, sort of shock and horror about this is if they're new rules they're, they're not new rules they're, they're, they are the rules that apply to any other country that's not in the eu if you're a saver and you're thinking about retirement have you basically got to forget about your retirement home in you know spain or greece or something like that and, and, and make other plans
1: well i think there was a mass surge to buy for uk residents to buy abroad to complete before uh the end of december and that surge has gone i personally think if you've got a a holiday home abroad it's a very easy tax for a foreign government to lay on a uk resident who wants to live 180 days in france or portugal because again it's Mm. not a vote loser so i think there's a great expression that sometimes it's best to buy and other times it's best to rent and whilst we all have dreams of living abroad i think the rules of 180 days have always been there but i think they're going to be heavily enforced by european governments now and i wouldn't be surprised if in the next 24 months uk owners of properties abroad in the eu find themselves with a wealth tax or a property tax because again it's an easy way for european countries to gather a tax on people yeah. that don't
0: vote are there other kind of investment and, and savings implications for you know for what, what what's happening with, with brexit you know, the, you know funds and bonds and so forth because you know, we've read a lot about financial institutions moving out of the uk
1: moving their bases to frankfurt we've heard a lot about bank passporting and things yeah there is on a cut on some bonds there's going to be some uh, change in legislation and people who go to offshore bonds in january will see a change in rules and financial services compensation scheme rules but the reality is i think the biggest change for investors will come after soon next march budget that will be the key one when He's really then we've got a vaccine, so he's hoping to get the world back to normal. So he's now got to recover twelve months of furlough, twelve months of grants, twelve months of funding. And that's when I think the listeners of this are gonna I think it'll be capital gains tax. I think there might be some moves on inheritance tax, capital gains tax is a certainty. I think he will struggle on income tax because he wants people spending money. I think you might see state pension age move and there's been already changes to how the state pension is going to be uh, increased, etc. But I think for the listeners and for all of us, March is going to be critical. Are there things we should be doing before March then? I I think if you were going to realise again, it would be possibly best to realise it before the budget. I think if you were got mm-hmm. shares in a company that you were looking to maybe sell, entrepreneurial relief, again, that would be an easy one to, to um Use There's been talk about business relief, the way he used taxes that, but I believe there's too much investment in it for him to get rid of it. But I think if you were going to sell a, uh, an asset, I think capital gains allowance will drop by 50%. There's rumors of it right. going down to five, 6,000. There's, there's also rumors for people who are self-employed or run their own limited companies that dividend income tax will equalize to normal rates of tax. So I think if people are going to take money out of the business, it might be fortuitous to go and speak to your accountant and, and possibly declare a dividend sooner rather than later.
0: Okay, interesting. Is there anything else on the horizon in 2021 you think that uh, the listeners ought to keep an eye out for? Because that's, they're some pretty big things. I think our, our podcast
1: is obviously the highlight of some people's month. <laughs> <laughs> the highlight <laughs> of my life, I <laughs> obviously. Really, I, I know that's not true. But no, I think it'll be I think I think this year's taught us all a lot of lessons. I think people have realized what's important to them. I mean, I know during lockdowns I've missed playing football bizarrely and watching my son play football, but just the basics of going to see my mum and dad yeah. and giving them a hug. And I think maybe one of the blessings is that what we've seen is that people have now realised what they do need to spend and that companies such as Pret a Manger and Costa don't really need with the greatest respect to exist to a point where you need to get off a tube and get a coffee or need to go out for lunch but I think people will look and realize they can live on less than what they thought they'd need Mm. and that maybe some of the some of the things we thought we needed to buy were actually not needed but what some of the things we want to do are more of the sort of the corporate hospitality the more of the going out for dinners more of the Going on holiday, going to Berlin for a weekend, the stuff that the moments of sheer joy that when you look back on your year, those moments of excitement, those moments of memories make the year worthwhile.
0: I bought myself a sandwich from a shop the other day. I felt Good. it was a, a wild indulgence. I felt like I felt, I felt like you know some kind of figure from the Roaring Twenties with my with the BLT in a box that I hadn't made myself. It was, it was unbelievable. So, well, Andy, it's, like, it's been a hard year for a lot of people. It's been really, really painful for many people, and a lot of us are looking forward to Christmas, even if, if it's only a little, uh, a little brief break. Or and even if we can't see the relatives, at least it's a, an opportunity to sort of like step out of the rat race. Do you think there's going to be more lockdowns next year, or are we kind of coming to the end of it?
1: I, I think until they can roll out this vaccine more, I think we'll see lockdowns. I think we'll have local economies suffer. I think there'll be some. That's why I said keep saying to people, I don't believe when people say to me, we want to invest money, I think there's still a point we would still suggest that people drip feed it into the market because I think there's still a lot of volatility and there is still some bad news to be had. And when you look at the amount of people on furloughing, that will impact some industries, some sectors. And there's a lot of uncertainty still out there. So I think it's going to be a challenging year. I think it's going to be a lot better than this year because we were ahead on the vaccine. But we've also got a warning of what we're ahead. But at least we got through this one. And that's the main thing. You know what? People are listening and me and you are still here. And the people who started the year with us (laughs) are all still here. And that's the most important thing.
0: Well, look, Andy, thanks for joining me. For this, this podcast and, and the other podcasts in the course of the year, we'll be back next year with more listeners. Thank you for listening. We hope you have a great Christmas and that you're as optimistic about next year as Andy and I are, because we are optimistic. It is going to be better. Remember, these podcasts come out roughly every month or so, so why not subscribe on your favourite app on your phone and they will come straight to
1: your phone uh, as a nice little surprise. Andy, happy Christmas to you and you andrew it's been a a really interesting year but thanks for the questions and thanks for making a lot of fun for the listeners yeah i'm kind of hoping next year's a bit less interesting (laughs) (laughs) i think we
0: all are (laughs) it's the old chinese curse isn't it may you live in interesting times i don't want to live in interesting times anymore here's to boring times we'll see you next year everyone happy christmas
1: happy christmas